Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. The series that we're doing is this, around Romans 10 15, how beautiful are the feet. It says this, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And last week we talked and we're introducing this series leading up into Easter. And last week was about hell, part one, and part two is this week. And what we said last week is this, one of the most difficult doctrines that, that people wrestle with. One of the most difficult ones that Christians wrestle with is this, and we're uncomfortable with, is this concept of hell, this place called hell. And it shapes our views as Christians, and it's necessary that we teach on it. And what I said last week is we don't teach much on it. I don't teach much on it, but I'm doing this two weeks because it sets the table for what we're going to do next. And what we talked about last week is that we were building a foundation around God's holiness and man's depravity. And we said this, that God, a being that possesses all possible perfection, so that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, immutable, perfectly good, and necessarily existent, among other qualities. And then we said this about man, the Lord God formed man from dust of the earth, and he blew into his nostrils and breath of life, and the man became a living being, created, fallible, and finite when man fell. And this infinity, this picture is, is this picture of God and man, and this infinite gap between the two apart from Christ Jesus. And we said, this is the foundation in which we have to look out and really to have a good understanding of hell. And we said, Jesus is the only one who can bring the gap together. He's the only one who can bridge the gap between man and God. He is the sacrificial lamb that saves us. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He bridges that gap. There's no more condemnation because Christ Jesus The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death. We said, how beautiful are the feet that bring this good news. Now we're getting into part two, which is around a parable that Jesus spoke. Really the only parable that we see that talks and gives a descriptive of hell. And I'm going to have Chris come up and she's going to read this for us this morning. And it's out of Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Underlined it for you. That's so nice of you. I see that, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, man, I missed all kinds of notes here. What the heck are you doing? Here, stay right here because you look really pretty and I like you next to me. Um, This is is really important, though. When Jesus talks on on hell, um, he, he speaks about hell more than anybody else in scriptures. But it's not just hell. Jesus talks about heaven. Heaven three times more than he spoke on hell. But, but here's the key when talking about hell. And it's, it has to do with fear. How you doing? Come stand right with me. I love it. I feel, I know. It's like, I just want to 
you know. <laughs> when talking about hell, there's this place that, that I remember as a kid, I don't know if you ever had it, where people would talk about hell, you know, that preacher, you're going to hell and it's burning and it's fire and all this stuff, and, and there's this fear that would come over me. But Matt Chandler said this, and I think it's very important. Heaven is not a place for those who are afraid of hell. It's a place for those who love God. You can scare people into coming to your church. You can scare people into trying to be good. You can scare people into giving money. You can even scare them into walking down an aisle and praying a certain prayer. But you can't scare people into loving God. You just can't do it. When we talk about hell, as I'm talking about hell, that's not my, what I want to do. I'm not here to scare anybody into any place. But we are here to tell you the reality of hell and what it looks like. What we want to do is point you to Jesus. Because the answer is Jesus. And I'm not talking about hell to just to get emotions out of everybody. But I want to point you to the one who keeps me from this place called hell. It says this in Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that yet while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. It says in Ephesians 2 that we're saved by grace through faith, pointing to Jesus always. I want us, I want you, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to encounter Jesus. I don't want you to just encounter Jesus, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to have a relationship with the one who saves me and gives me life. Although I deserve hell, he gives me eternal life. And I want us to have that, and how we do that is through God's word, through prayer, through worship each and every day. Each and every day connects that relational part. Because if I have a relationship with her, I'm in contact with her every day. Throughout the day, we text, we, we, we talk, we see each other. Sometimes she's mean to me. <laughs> but there's always this restoration that is taking place. Why? Because it's a relationship each and every day. So don't think that you can have a relationship with God and put him on the shelf during the week and show up Sunday and engage him through a couple songs, through giving, through a message, and then put him back on the shelf for the rest of the week. She wouldn't put up with it in our relationship. I wouldn't put up with it in our relationship because the essence of relationship is this time we spend together. And, and that's what I'm pointing to, and that's why this message is so important. All right. Okay, good. Set it good up. Stuff. I like it. Okay, here we go. Luke 16, verses 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in, his, in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us." And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, 
They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This, this scripture is, is the only one that Jesus gives that gives a description of hell, a picture of what hell is. It's with, again, as I said last week, uh, this humility and fear of the Lord that I, I, I try to preach this message because um, it's eternal. It's people's lives. And, and there's a fear of God handling this word because, as I said in James, it says, not many of you ought to be teachers because there's a stricter judgment. So as I've been praying and looking at this over the last couple of weeks, um, by no means is this a comprehensive over, by no means are we able to go into the, you know, the Greek and the Hebrew, there's pieces of that, but, but I want to give you a picture because I think that is what God has called us to, to preach Genesis to Revelation, the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. There's a few observations that I want to look at this morning, a few observations in this text. One, what does it profit a man to gain the world? Heaven and hell are a physical place. Hell is eternal. Hell is unrelenting. There's a conscious understanding and anguish in the flames. There, there, I want to give you a picture and show you what the Bible says when talking about hell. Descriptives. But it starts with this. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. This is what he said to the rich man. He said, you received your good here on earth. And it's interesting because this, this scripture is, is, I think, critical in this place called Orange County because there's this spirit here in Orange County, and it's always going after something. It's always trying to get to the next house, the next car, the next job, the next wife, the next husband, the next whatever it is. It's this insatiable desire that we have to have more. And this scripture very clearly says, what does it benefit you to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? I have friends, I've got a buddy who's, he's got a lot of money. I'm sure all of us have different friends like that. And, and he lives in the moment. He lives in that moment with what he has. God bless him, that's great. He's very generous in, 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 with his money, with his friends. But what does it matter if it all ends? Because the Bible's very clear, you can't take it with you. You're not hitching up a wagon and taking your stuff with you. It all stays here. There's a book called, It All Goes Back in the Box. And the reality is this. Everything that you've worked for, everything that you've labored for, everything that you've collected, it all goes back in the box when you depart from here. What does it gain a man? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? Uh, it's interesting in this, this scripture because it... Uh, it says, it says it, when, it, when it talks, it says the rich man, and it says Lazarus. It doesn't use his name even. It just says the rich man. And Revelation 20, 15 says this, And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. They don't use his name at all, but they do of Lazarus. Now, the, the other interesting thing is this. He is not being thrown into the lake of fire because he's rich. Let's be real clear about that. I know a lot of rich people that love Jesus that are incredibly generous. I know a lot of people that have money that, that money does not own them. 
Money does not own them. There's the difference. They own the money. And it's open-handed to God. And they're constantly giving out. Const- this man wasn't going to hell because he's rich. But the Bible says it's a lot more difficult for those who have great wealth. In fact, Jesus says in, in Matthew that it's like a, the, the, uh, going through the eye of a needle. A camel going through the eye of a needle. What he missed here was this. That, 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 that he walked by, he drove by, he charioted by. Each day, this man with swords, this man who had nothing. And there was no awareness of him. And what the Bible speaks to is this. That if you have Jesus in your heart and your soul, you're at least going to look at him and engage him on some level. But when there's a hardness and when everything else owns you, you can walk by people every single day and never see them. Oh, God, have mercy and let us not be. And let me just say this. You don't have to be rich or poor to be like that. But this man was. James 4, 17, his sin of omission. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. How do you have all the money in the world and walk by someone that doesn't even have a meal? We do it all day. We do it regularly. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet. Now, let me qualify that. You you can't save everybody. You can't feed every homeless person. And Lord knows we got quite a few in Costa Mesa. But you can have such a self-awareness because you're in the word, because you're praying, and because you're asking God, that when God says, stop, feed, stop, help, stop, love on them, stop, give them a hug. That's Christianity. That's who God's called us to be as Christians. Number two, heaven and hell are physical places. They're real. The nihilist would say that it's not real, that, that, that it, 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 it ends, and when it ends, it ends. It's all over. The atheist would say that when you die, that's all there is. There's no pain. There's no suffering. Scripturally, we don't see that. Scripturally, we see, no, there, there is a place. There is a heaven and hell. There are, pl- it's a physical place. Verse 22 and 23, it says this, and the poor man died and he was carried off by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. So the, the physical place called heaven, and I'm not, gonna, uh, uh, I'm not gonna go deep into this one, but the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. It, it literally translates through the different scriptures next to Abraham, with Abraham, and the arms of Abraham. It's this place that, now you gotta remember, Jesus hadn't died yet, so it's this holding, resting place until Christ came and could bring judgment. And, and it, they literally, the Jews would say that this is a place because Abraham was so um, beloved that it brought comfort. When they say they go to Abraham's side, there was this peace that came. There was this rest that came. There was this comfort that came. So Lazarus, when he died, went to the side of Abraham, who was highly revered, and there was peace, and there was comfort, and there was rest, and there was contentment. That's the picture he gives of heaven. Hell is a physical place too. Verse 23 says this, the rich man also died and was buried and was in Hades. What does the Bible say about Hades? What does it say about hell? Hell is a physical place. It is a literal place. The names of hell, Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Lake of Fire, Second Death and Eternal Retribution. Just for uh, 
definition and so we see this is what the Bible says of these places. The unquenchable fire in Mark 9. And if your hand causes you to sin, Jesus says, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than two hands than to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Fire that cannot be put out. Unquenchable. Number two, we see Mark 9. It says, where the worm does not die. This is the one that freaks me out because I, I am not a big fan of worms. Okay, I was watching Shrek last night with my wife. You know, Shrek loves worms. He's always squirting worms and all that stuff, you know. And it just freaks me out even watching cartoon worms. I, I don't like it. And, the, and the here he says, where the worms don't die and the fire is not quenched. Not only the worms don't die, the fire is not quenched. Eternal torment on top of that, Luke 16. And in Hades, being in torment, they lifted up his eyes. That there's this eternal feeling that takes place. And then we see in Matthew 13 where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret. And, and throw them into the fiery furnace in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness. Does anybody not like the dark? You know, you cast in the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where they'll be gnashing, or weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gehenna, Matthew 10. And do not fear those who kill your body, but cannot kill your soul. Rather fear those who can destroy both soul and body in hell. These are the pictures, a few pictures, of this place, physical place, called hell. The good news is this. The good news of the gospel of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection says this. I don't have to fear hell. As much as I hate worms, as much as I don't want to be in darkness for the rest of my life, as much as I don't, I, I, you know, all those things, the Bible says clearly that you and I don't have to fear hell because Jesus paid the price for us. Because Jesus paid the price through his blood for me. This is why we go into Easter celebrating of what Jesus did. This is why the contrast is so important. You know, we talk about heaven, talk about salvation. Oh, yes, yes, God, thank you for your grace. But how do we understand and really appreciate what Jesus has done for us if we don't understand the fact that you and I deserve hell, separation from God? It's what I deserve. And God gives me grace. If I just sinned once, and the reality is I've sinned three times in my life. But if I just sin once, it's a triple, goodness. If I just sin once, I would deserve hell because of what we said. God is perfect and man is not. And perfect cannot be in the presence of sin. But I can be in the presence of Jesus because of who he is. Hell doesn't scare me. You know what scares me? like the rich man in the story, that there are people that are walking around and, and they're, they're complacent in their conviction of who Jesus is in their life. They come to church, this is, I shouldn't say this, twice a month. The reality is some come to church every week. And they mistake the blessings of God for God's approval in their life. They mistake the money that they make. They mistake the fact that they're not caught in their sin. They mistake all these things for the fact that God approves of what they're doing. And many will hear our Savior tell them on that day. And this is what freaks me out and one of the reasons I do what I do. He says in Matthew 7, then I will 
tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Can you imagine having thought your whole life because you checked in and out of church, because you came down the front and raised your hand and said, Jesus, I want you, because you did all those things, but there was no lordship, no understanding, no relationship, and you're standing before God, and he goes, I didn't even know you. You may have said my name, but I didn't know you. Have you ever met that person? Oh, I know so-and-so. And you're like, I don't know them. They know my name, but I don't know them. And the, the, the fear that I have, what scares me is there's that anybody in a church that I minister to in, 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 in church that I've been a part of, that the fear is that, that we have not preached the whole gospel and they ever walk out this door not clearly knowing that Jesus is the only way to heaven and it's through the blood of Jesus that you're saved. And it doesn't matter how stupid I can be, God's forgiveness and there's no condemnation in Christ, Romans 8, that I can walk in the freedom and, and if we don't preach this gospel that way and if we don't talk about hell, I'm scared that there are people who don't know the truth that are walking out think they do. That scares the hell out. Number three is hell is eternal. Hell is eternal. Hell is also described as a place of eternal retribution or eternal punishment. Speaking of the unsaved, those who don't know Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 25. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He gives a contrast here. He says, and these who don't know me, and what he means by that, those who said, Jesus I'm good without you. The ones that said, God, I don't need God. I don't need his blood. I could, I'll stand in judgment for my own sins. Those, he said, clearly, God goes, okay, I'll give you what you want. Hell. And then there's oh, these over here who go, hey, God, I deserve hell and you give me life. And Jesus very clearly delineates between the two. A way into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's no middle ground. There's no do-overs. Hell is eternal. It's this idea of punishment here is one of eternal duration. I, I looked up lasting forever, and it's a long time. That was funny, wasn't it? Thank you for the token laugh. It really is. Having no beginning or end. Look, we can't conceptually grab a hold of forever. Because God created us in a linear way, that we understand times, we understand that there's a beginning and end in life, we understand that each one of us, our ticket will be punched, we understand life in, you know, we've, I've done series on this from, you know, summer, spring, fall, winter, all that, I get that out of order, but you know what I'm saying, we think that way, we have to because we're finite and we're created beings, we do not have the ability to think outside of that, so to think of lasting forever is beyond our minds. But if you stop for a moment and meditate on it, it's a long time. Eternal punishment is just because God is just. Because it, it says in Romans 6, for the wages of your sin and mine are death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God is just when he punishes us because he is perfect and we are sinners. And all of our sin is ultimately against God. Look, you go, what do you mean? Every time you sin, here's what you're saying. You may not say it verbally, and you may not even think it because it happens so easily in our lives, the way that we sin. It's saying this, God, I got this thing. 
I know what's best for me. I'm under, I got this under control, God. You just go sit over there in heaven and do what you got to do. And I, you know, I'll take care of this. And it's, it's saying, God, I'm in charge of my life. Here's the problem with that. How many of us really believe we're in charge of our life? I know you think you are. Nobody knows the day and the time. Nobody knows. And, and, and when we sin, we're going, God, I got this. And what God says to us is like, just, let me give an example. The natural and the spiritual run parallel to one another. We talk about this all the time with my kids. I don't know how many times I've seen a, a six-year-old or a seven-year-old, one of my children, an 18-year-old, uh, uh, say, Dad, I know what I'm doing. I got this. Only to see them fall on their face. And then sometimes the stubborn ones, TJ, um, that what they, <laughs> sorry, is he here? He's sick, so he didn't hear that. Um, they'll, they'll get up and go, and I'll step up, okay, I'm here, and they'll go, Dad, I got this. And they'll do it three or four or five times, and I go, that's what you want? And they fall on their face and, until they get to a point, and most of the time, go, Dad, help. It's a picture of you and me. God, I got this thing called sin. I got this drinking down. I got it under control. I got this sex outside of marriage thing under control. I got this lying thing. They're just little white lies. I got it under control, God. I'm fine. Sin is against God. And your pet sins are stench to God. I went on a sidebar. Groundhog Day. Anybody see Groundhog Day? Bill Murray, one of the classic... <laughs> Movies. One of the sta stations had it on 24 hours. It was like Groundhog Day. It was literally Groundhog Day. It was so good. I, I could watch it every time. That and Shawshank Redemption. My classic line, Shawshank Redemption's on like every weekend. And I watch it every weekend. I got lines down. And every time I watch the pattern line, every time I'm sitting in my chair, I'm watching Shawshank Redemption, she comes in and what do I say? <coughs> Have you seen this movie? <laughs> And she, she placates and goes, that's nice, you know, plays it. But it, Groundhog Day is one of the, those movies, you know. But, but here's the deal. Punishment of the wicked in hell is never ending. It is Groundhog Day with the awareness. I mean, he's fully aware of what's going on. He just can't get out of it. Bill Murray is like, oh, there's that hole. I'm going to step in it again. He, there's a consciousness of what's going on. Jesus clearly indicates that both heaven and hell are eternal. Again, in the scripture, eternal punishment, eternal life. Eternal punishment, eternal life. Into eternity. Can't conceptualize that, but I can't imagine that Groundhog Day. Same thing. Each day. Each day. Into eternity. Oh, God, have mercy. Number four. Hell is unrelenting. It's unrelenting. We see in verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of my finger into the water, into water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in his life, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Hell is unrelenting. Not only is hell eternal, but it's eternal suffering. There's no breaks. There's no stops. 
There's no, verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. Now he's in hell. It's a consistent, unrelenting fire, worms, pain, suffering, and the knowledge of what's going on. This is, that is hell. And I don't preach it to scare anybody. But if I don't tell you the truth of what this word says about this place called hell, then how do you appreciate Jesus' saving grace? Oh, God, have mercy. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. That I don't have to spend eternity apart from you in this place that is unrelenting. Have you ever been around a person that's unrelenting? Just, uh, you just, I can't imagine eternity in this place that is unrelenting in its pain and its suffering. I, I, I had both hips replaced and uh, at a fairly early age, I was 39-ish or something like that. But from when I got them done to, to when it, the pain started in my late 20s and then I got them done in my late 30s, but the, the pain, what, what changed my mind on everything was the pain was just unrelenting. You couldn't, I couldn't escape it. When I walked, there was sharp pain. When I bent over, there was sharp pain. When I went to bed and tried to sleep, every time I'd move, sharp pain would shoot through my body and I'd wake up and could not get a good night's sleep. For years, I'd wake up 30 times in the night. And you know what it means when you don't have a, I'm even grumpier than I am now. Uh, I mean, uh, it's crazy when you don't have a good night's sleep. It's it's unrelenting, just nagging, nagging, unrelenting pain. The Bible describes hell as this unrelenting place. Theologian Gordon Fee says this of hell. The ultimate desolation and the absolute loss of glory. So eternal destruction refers to everlasting ruin and unrelenting loss. I've felt this unrelentedness of loss. I've got over it. I'm getting over it. I still have moments. We are, I am the idiot who bought a house in 2007. You know what I'm talking about. I built up money buying and selling houses in Austin, Texas, came here and, and, and bought a dumb house that I paid way too much money for and lost my house and everything that I owned it, not everything in it, but the equity that I had in it. And it's been unrelenting for years and having to forgive myself for making a bad decision. But it's un- and that weight of that unrelentedness is just difficult to bear. That's a picture of hell. Just continues. Number five, there's a conscious understanding. Like if, if there was no understanding in your hell, there's just blank, that's one thing. But to have a conscious understanding of what's going on and why you're there. Verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them. Least they also come into this place of torment. He was fully aware, the rich man, of what was going on. So much so, he said, please don't let my family go through this. Send someone down to save them. There was such an awareness of his sin, of his rejection of God, of the way he lived his life. He had this full understanding, full memory of what he was and what he did. So much so, he said, send someone to save him. I I, I think about that, and I, I think... 
the unrelentingness, the eternal thoughts, the consciousness of, of that moment that someone brought the good news to you. The gospel of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. She said, no, thank you. I'm good. That alone would be hell. That you or I or someone saying, no, God, I'm good. That, that you'd be eternally separated from God. And you'd have to think that, and that run that, that scene through your mind over and over and over again? I can't imagine. There's a conscious understanding of what you've done and why you're here. Not only that, you're not going to be going, there's no justice. I can't believe that I'm in this place. I deserve heaven. No, 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 no. We will stand before the creator of heaven and earth. He who is holy and just and righteous. And when we stand before him, you will absolutely know without a doubt that you deserve what you have because God is just and he's righteous. There'll be no question of maybe I should be on the other side. You'll know that you're exactly what, where you're at and because of what you've done. There's a conscious understanding. Jesus uses very descriptive words. We see fiery furnace, weeping and ashy teeth, the worm that does not die. He's very vivid in his words. He doesn't mince words. He's very clear of what it'll be like. These words are chosen to portray hell as eternal consequences that you would feel, that you could experience and see that no one would ever want to be in that place called hell. It's not the joke that my, many of my friends talk about. Oh, I want to party with all my friends in hell. We're going to drink and, 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 and have women and song and fun, all that. I'm like, that's completely crazy. It's not hell. Jesus is very clear and gave clear pictures so that we would know. How do you deal with the truth of hell? But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And all he's saying is what we just talked about. He's saying, look, look, there are plenty of people with the beautiful feet that come and bring the truth of who Jesus is. How beautiful are the feet. And, and what Abraham, what he's saying here is that, that the gospel has been preached and you said no. And God being the gentleman that he is, doesn't grab you by the scruff of the neck and go, you've got to believe. He goes, your choice. The beauty of God is that he continues to pursue. And for many people, they continue to reject. And there's a point Bible says in Romans 1 and 2, where God goes, enough's enough. I'm going to give you over to the desires of your heart, and he doesn't pursue the way he pursued. That is scary. That is scary. And, and what he's saying here is this. Look, I can send, look, he says, Jesus was there, and they said, you're not the one. He's doing miracles. He's pulling rabbits out of a hat. He's doing great stuff, man. People are getting healed. Crazy stuff. Money in fish's mouth and people raising from the dead. And people still didn't believe it was the one, that he was the one. And that's what he's saying here. When the gospel comes, the 
good news, the feet of Jesus comes. Puts us in a place of humility. He goes, it's either me or him. Who's going to pay the price? Number six, there's anguish in the flame. It says this in verse 23. And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abram, Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in the flame. Matthew 8 says this, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, is the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I was thinking, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, you know, have you ever heard anybody just weep? And that, that it's just a, it's visceral. It just sits in your gut and you can just, you can literally feel them weeping. And then I started to look at gnashing of teeth. And have you ever seen anybody grind and just grind their teeth and grind their teeth? And, and it's just this, it's so, it, you can just, Feel it. Why would anybody do that? Because of the realization that they rejected the creator of heaven and earth. And those who, who, who reject God will realize in hell that they have truly lost. And that the realization that there is no second chance. That that is it. And it will cause them to feel the full weight and the pain of what goes on. And what goes with that knowledge. The anguish of being separated from God does not go away. It's eternal. The anguish of knowing that is unrelenting what we said. The anguish of knowing someone brought you the good news and you said, nope, nope, I'll take care of my own stuff. I'll take care of my own stuff. And then someone else brought you the good news and you said, nope. I'll take care of my own. And then you come to this little church in, in Orange County in this building and, and he, he preaches the gospel and you go, nope, I'm going to take care of my own stuff. And then and, and God pursues and pursues and then he goes, okay. Because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, as I said. And, and, and doesn't grab you and force you into that. That's not love. That's not a relationship. It would be dictatorial. It gives us the desires of our heart. And we talked a little bit about that last week. I, I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go listen to that message and, and, and what that, that really means. The anguish of, of realizing that I said no and there's no more second chances. That in my pride, in my stuff, in my sin, I loved my sin in the moment more than an eternal relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. It's a terrible deal. A moment satisfaction for what? That's the anguish in the flame. So why am I preaching on hell? Number one, because Jesus did. And to preach the fullness of the gospel, we have to preach what Jesus preached. Why do I preach on hell? Because how can I fully understand what Jesus did on the cross if I don't know what he saved me from. You know why Easter is so special? Because I deserved hell and he gave me everlasting life. Oh, God, thank you. Because I deserve hell. And God said, because you gave 
your life to my son and his blood covered you. You have therefore no more condemnation. You're walking free. It's the greatest deal going. But it's not, I, when, when that hits you in the face and grabs a hold of you, you don't just walk out these doors and live your life like hell. You go, oh God, how do I have relationship with you? Oh God, how do I love you better? And I don't always do it well. And there's sometimes I walk out those doors and I'm a complete idiot when I walk out the doors. But I'm working on it. I'm trying. And I'm asking God to change me. And when I read his word and when I pray and when I spend that time and encountering him on a, on a regular basis, he starts to change me. And I look in the mirror and go, oh, I deserve hell, but you give me grace. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, I deserve hell, but you give me life through your son, Jesus. How can you fully understand the cross? How can you fully understand the resurrection unless you fully understand what he saved us from, which is separation from him? Why do I preach on hell? Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news of the gospel to someone who doesn't know it. How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection to someone who's lost and has no hope. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the hope of Jesus Christ to this hopeless world. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Romans 6, 23 says this, and the price, the wage of that sin is death. But God in his goodness gives us eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for it. Right in the middle of your worst sin, right in the middle of your, your consistent sin, right in the middle of your stuff, God said, here's my son. He died for you. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus today, the Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And, and you go, this is mind-blowing. How can it be this simple? It's, it, it wasn't this simple. Someone hung on the cross for this. There was a life given for this relationship. And if you don't know Jesus, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if I confess with my, my mouth that Jesus be Lord of my life, and I confess my sins, the Bible says you will be saved. Oh God, have mercy. Oh God, thank you. My prayer is that studying and preaching and regularly is this, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I love this scripture in Luke 18 with the, the tax collector and the Pharisees, and, but the tax collector stood far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's that humility. It's that understanding of what I deserve and what God gives me that puts me in this place of humility and I, just so we can be clear, I, I struggle. I'm, I'm not that 24 hours a day. John's not on his face. Oh, God, have mercy, a sinner. 
too many times things come out of this mouth that shouldn't come out of this mouth. Too many things, thoughts go that shouldn't be thoughts. Too many things, times things are consumed that shouldn't be consumed. Wine, let's just be clear. But God is gracious and merciful to me. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know my Jesus. Because he gives peace and hope and everlasting life. And he's patient with me. And he's kind with me. And he doesn't always treat me as my sins deserve. He's good. Regardless of my circumstances. Regardless of how I feel, what I see. He's a good God. And he hears my prayers. And he answers my prayers. Not the ones for the new car and the new house. See, when I'm in line with God, I'm in line with His will. That's the relationship God is calling us to. Have mercy on me, God. If you want a relationship with Jesus today, I'm going to have Grayson come up in the band, and, and, and that's, that's so churchy and evangelical. I'm sorry, but that's all I know. <laughs> come on now. I'm not going to actually run down to the front. I promise you that. But I want to pray. I want to pray for us as a church because you're either encountering God and making a decision or if you already know Jesus, then you sure as heck better walk out these doors and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because people are dying and going to hell apart from a relationship with him. And you bring hope. You bring hope. How beautiful are the feet to bring the gospel, the good news of Christ Jesus to others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. God, for these men and women. God, if there's anyone in here today who doesn't know you and wants to have eternal life, God, I want to pray with them right now, right where you're at. prayer looks like this. Oh God, forgive me for my sins. I recognize you, Jesus, as the one and only who can save me from my sins. God, I thank you for your son who died on the cross that I might be forgiven and then on the third day rose again that I might have life. God, I want you to take control of my life. Be Lord of my life. And I thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name. Now I want to pray for anyone who knows Jesus. Because we can't sit in these seats each week and not be changed on some level. You can't sit in these seats each I'm not going to let you without yelling at you a little bit. Sit in these seats without leaving this place and be in the hands and feet of Jesus. Loving your neighbors well. Loving your co-workers well. Loving your loved ones well. Letting them see and experience and taste the fruit of who Jesus is in your life. Let us be that church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those of us who have 
have encountered you and know you. God, let us know you on a deeper level. Lord, I pray that we would seek you, that we would go after you, Father God, through prayer, through worship, through your word, each and every day. God, that we'd be aware of those around us, Father God. We wouldn't be like the rich man who just walked right by, that just drove right by. But Lord, we would see. God, give us eyes to see. Lord, give us the heart to, to hear so that when you say stop, we stop and we minister the gospel of Christ Jesus. Oh God, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for everlasting life. God, that, that I don't have to spend eternity apart from you, but I get to spend eternity with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' precious name.